But for something that I own personally, I would much rather just hold forever. And even though it's an older building and it's going to have some maintenance and there's going to be issues that come up, I know that long-term that building will, A, it'll go up in value, I'm sure. B, the rents will go up in value, I'm sure. But C, in 15 years when I own it free and clear, my cash flow will jump another $1,500 a month from it. So I'll go from, you know, I don't know, 1200 to 1500 a month in cash flow to like $3,000 a month from that one property that I got into for less than 11000 So in essence, it will go from a, the 100% cash on cash return it was the first year and second year, and it kind of is right now. It's a little bit over 100% cash on cash return, even though I pulled my money out, so now it's infinite. But it'll ultimately, it'll jump to like three times every year what I originally put into it, if not more. Um, so yeah, I like to hold forever or at least Welcome to Real Estate Deal Closers with Annette Talee, where we focus on the deals. Our guests are real estate closers who will share in detail the whole process from finding a deal to closing it, as well as strategies and tips to help you do the same. Here's your host, Annette Talee. Welcome to another episode of Real Estate Deal Closers. I am your host, Annette Talee, and my guest today is David Perret. Welcome, David. Hey, thanks for having me on the show, Annette. Glad we're finally I, getting to talk. Yes, I am super excited because I've, you know, I've been seeing you online forever and we have a bunch of contacts uh, in common and you know, finally uh, we get to talk. So let me tell you a little bit about David. He joined the, military, the Marine Corps in August 2008. Since that time, he has lived in or traveled to many unique places around the world, including a combat tour in Afghanistan. David got started in real estate investing in 2015. He house hacked a duplex with the FHA loan and lived in it for a little while until getting married to his beautiful wife, Kimberly, and receiving orders to Hawaii. While stationed in Hawaii, David bought a 10-unit apartment in Missouri and has had continued success with real estate investing. Through these experiences, from military to millionaire was born with the goal of teaching service members and veterans how to build wealth through real estate investing, entrepreneurship, and personal finance. I was telling you about these words I can pronounce. Entrepreneur is one that I have a hard time, but... Uh, it's kind of a weird word. It's it is. You know, I don't know. But this is very, very impressive. So tell me your personal story. So how did you end up in real estate? Well, that wonderful purple book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, um, in 2015, a buddy of mine gave me the book and I was like, yeah, I don't like to read. So he handed me a CD. It was like, well, just listen to it while you drive, dude. It's worth your time. And so I did. I listened to it while I drove, you know, around. I was a recruiter. So I was driving to high schools and stuff all over the state. And so I just listened to it. And I mean, honest to God, within three or four months, I bought that duplex. So I, it was like the stars aligned. I read that book and I read a bunch of other books and I started Googling uh, answers to questions that I didn't understand. And right around the same time, my lease was coming up on my apartment. So I either had to, you know, renew my lease or move out. And I was paying five fifty a month to live in a two bed, one bath apartment. I was able to buy this duplex and my payment was only six fifteen to own it. Um, so I was like, man, okay, well for $75 more or $65 more, I can own the building and someone else is paying rent. All right. So I only had to have like $110, $120 out of pocket. It's like, okay, well, that sounds like a good deal. Um, 
and then it, I mean, it was, I, I got talked out of the VA loan though, cause the lender didn't know what he was doing. So he talked me into the FHA loan, which is still fine, but uh, the VA loan is very powerful for veterans and I wish I'd used it. Um, and yeah, so, I mean, the house is still paid back every penny I put into it every year I've owned it uh, since I moved back, moved out and rented the other half. And that was kind of, I was like, oh, wow, this really works. And then just kept going from there. Awesome. That, what a good friend of yours that gave you yeah. that book and then gave you the CD because you didn't want to read it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you definitely changed my life. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, that book kind of pivot. I was reading a little bit about finances and how to, you know, get to financial freedom before reading, uh, you know, Kiyosaki's book. But that book was like an eye-opening experience. Like, you know, I've never heard of this and how do I apply this? Because it doesn't really give you the how-to. It just gives you the idea of like, you got to you know, create a business, you got to invest, you got to, you know, the four quadrants, and then you have to, from there, you got to, you know, go and, and, you know, figure out how to do it. The deal. All right. So what deal are we going to talk about today? Uh, I like my 10 unit. I think it's, uh, you know, it's not so far out of reach that people are going to think they can't do it. Uh, but it's a little crazy and it's probably my favorite deal so far. Cool. Was this your second property, the 10 unit? Well, when I got married, my wife had a house. So that one we turned into a rental as well, did some upgrades and we bought some farmland behind it. But I guess this was the second, yeah, second like legitimate uh, investment property. So you went was- from a duplex to a 10 unit. Yeah, I wasn't actually looking for it. That's part of the funny thing. I was I was sending mail out looking for duplexes. And so I had this whole list of people who own duplexes, triplexes and fourplexes in the area. And this guy called me, he was like, Yeah, I don't want to sell you my duplex. And like, oh well, kind of wondering why you called, like, you know, in my head, like, why would you even call me then? Just ignore my letter. Um he's like, But I have a 10 unit. Oh well, what are you interested in for your 10 unit? And so this is Missouri. So prices are super affordable, but so is rent, right? So it's all, you know, it's all relative. Um, he wanted, I think they wanted 240,000 for it. And so I offered, I think I offered 220 and they came back at 225 and said, okay, fine, I'll take 225, but you know, I want you to pay half the closing costs or some, something like that, or all the closing, I don't remember. I've never paid closing costs. I think I negotiated all of them out of the way. Um, so we settled at 225, and then during the inspection, I got, I got it down to 212 and a half because there was, well, really there wasn't a ton. There was only like $7,000 worth of stuff that I probably needed done. Uh, older buildings, so there's definitely stuff to be done, but probably only about $7,000 worth of stuff that I was unaware of and willing to ask for because, you know, some of it was just stuff that I knew going into. Um, and I had been reading Never Split the Difference at the time, so I was negotiating a little bit more, and I ended up getting 12500 off the purchase price, even though I really only had told myself if it dropped seven, I'd be good. Uh, and, and so we bought the place, but the cool thing is that I had convinced him to do 10% seller financing and the bank knew that. And so originally it was going to be 80% from the bank, 10% from me and 10% from the seller. And then when we got into closing, I 
I guess somehow, some way, the bank got their wires crossed and forgot about the price drop. And so we got to closing. And, and mind you, I'm in Hawaii, right? Like I had, I, so I had actually been home when he got in touch with me. So I saw, I've seen two of the 10 units. Uh, I got to walk through before we were under contract and say, oh, okay, cool. Uh, but I never saw the other eight. And I'm back in Hawaii. And so they mail out the closing documents and there's a bunch of problems with, uh, me getting everything signed and on time. And the, I, I remember distinctly like having to sprint into FedEx like one minute before they close and be like, slam it down and hunt down the notary. <laughs> and I get it back out in the mail same day. You know, it takes forever to get there. So my documents are in the air and they're supposed to arrive that night and they're at the closing table and the bank calls me and they're like, so we have a problem and that's never what you want to hear. Right. And they're like, we didn't know, or we forgot about the price drop. So I'm like, oh, okay. So what do we do? And they're like, well, we brought the original amount. I'm like, okay. And they're like, well, we can either reschedule the closing for a week from now so that we can get everything done right, or you can just cl we can close and you can just get half of your down payment back and only be in five percent because we'll just bring the full amount that we already funded. Like, so my options are wait a week or buy a 10 unit for less than 5% down. Like, yeah, exactly. Okay. We'll I mean, close. And so, yeah, I got in, it was like $10,900 out of pocket. It was like 4.9% down uh, with seller financing on a 10 year or five year term at 4% interest um, for the other 10%. And yeah, it was awesome. All right. So, so there's a lot there that I want to unpack. So first of all, you were looking for property and you were using mailings, right? So how, for people that don't know and are new to real estate, can you explain a little bit how does that work? Yeah, there's a lot of ways you can do it. Uh, if you know who you're going after, like if you have a specific property in mind, you can go into the county uh, tax data and you can pull information on the owner. And they're usually it'll have their mailing address, depending on the county. Some counties don't like to share that stuff. But I usually just use a service like ListSource. And so you go to ListSource.com and you can buy a list fairly cheap. And you can really segment down exactly what you're wanting to buy. So you can segment down people who bought properties that have 100% equity. So you know they're cash buyers. You can segment down just a lot of interesting things that you can do to figure out what you want for a list. So I would, I would always go in there and say, okay, I want absentee owners. So they don't live in the house. I want, uh, you know, in this case, like a duplex, like two to four units. I want, maybe I want 70% equity or more. So they might be willing to sell their finance. Um, and I was just plugging some stuff in and I had a list of like 200 names and I narrowed it down to like a hundred of those names that were really probably worth mailing. And at the time I just, had a yellow legal pad and hand wrote all the letters because I was still new and didn't realize the value of my time. And that was miserable. I got a great return as far as like number of people who called back, but I learned very quickly that handwritten letters might get you an extra five or 10% people who respond. But those people usually aren't the ones who want to I don't know. Now I only handwrite letters now if I'm specifically targeting like a house or, or an owner that I know. So, so for example, I bought a duplex three months ago. And I knew the owner had some other properties and I knew one of them he owned free and clear. So I hand wrote him a letter the day we closed so that he would get a letter saying, Hey, we just bought this property from you. Uh, you know, we can close. I know you own this property. Would you be interested in selling? Maybe talking about seller financing. And ironically, the guy knows me. 
I didn't realize like at the time who was, who we were buying the house from. But after I sent the letter and I realized on the closing docs that it was like the football coach who works at my wife's old high school. And so anyway, um, and, and we got not that property, but two others offered to us at a pretty reasonable price. And we're discussing that. Um, so that was a very targeted, personal handwritten letter. But generally speaking now, I don't do that. I will, however, handwrite the address on the envelope so that it looks handwritten and people will actually open it. But yeah, you send out a bunch of letters saying, hey, you know, um, I've actually got a stack of them sitting around here somewhere, but hey, you know, we want to look at your, we're looking at houses in your area, yada, yada, yada. We can close cat fast, you know, give me a call if you want to talk about it. Um, and you get a lot of either ignored or angry returns, but you get some really interesting, I have some crazy stories from people <laughs> calling me back. Like the former secretary, when I was in Hawaii, I, I, uh, I was handwriting letters I'm like the former secretary of defense, Donald Rumsfeld, I guess his son owns like a $10 million house or they do. And this guy called me on the phone and like, I was on the phone with like Donald Rumsfeld's son for like 25 minutes at one point <laughs> as like a young sergeant, like totally just who I'm who, who is this? <laughs> you know? Uh, so I've had some pretty crazy stories, but yeah, mailers work for sure. Cool. All right. So you send the mailer and the mailer and that's how you found, um, the, the property and he called you back actually so on your mail list you put your uh your phone number or do you do they uh write you back how do you how do they i much prefer if they text me back but so i'll i'll put i put it like that i put feel free to text or call um but yeah yeah a lot of times it's calls which the only reason i prefer text is because i I don't always have my phone on, you know, still active duty military. So, and I work in a vault, so I like, I'm not allowed to have my phone in my building. So, you know, if I, if they call, then I look rude for not answering, but if they text then I get back to them as soon as I can. Right. Okay. All right. So then uh, he, he knew what he wanted. He wanted to sell you the 10 unit and know that the, so he already had a price in his mind of what he wanted to sell it for. Yeah. Was this property the 10 unit on the market at the time or it was off market? So it had been on the market and then it had been dropped in price and then it had been pulled from the market. And then like four months later is when he got my letter. Okay. So he was so kind of been, ready to sell. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. So you, um, he wanted, uh, 240,000, but then you ended up getting for, uh, 212,500. So, mm -hmm. okay. So wh how was the negotiation? Like what type of problems did you find on the inspections that you were able to negotiate this down? Ooh, good question. Uh, so I knew the roof needed replaced, so that wasn't one of them. I knew there were some wiring issues, so I didn't really mess with that. It was it was more things like, uh, I mean, it was little things, I think. It wasn't anything big. It was like one of the, I mean, I say that, one of the air conditioning units had been, uh, like a, a window unit had been dripping long enough that it had kind of rotted away the baseboard. Uh, fascia, like under the gutters, needed to be replaced. Um, nothing like, like it was partially cosmetic, you know, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't terrible by any means. It was a lot of that stuff. And then it was just some basic, like broken light fixtures, broken outlets, non, uh, one of the big ones was non, uh, GFCI outlets in all the bathrooms. So I had to get that all done. That was not up to code. Uh, smoke detectors weren't up to code or in the building. So, uh, it was a lot of that stuff. So it was like really small stuff. But over the you know size of the units, it just kind of added up, and it was a lot of stuff. And it, so I basically just went in and was like, "Look, we already knew about the roof. I'm not going to ask you for that. We already knew about the some of the wiring stuff. I'm not going to ask you for that. 
but all this little piddly stuff that you should have been doing like deferred maintenance, we're going to ask you for that. Um, and so I got a lot of that stuff taken care of without any problem. And cool. at this point you were already out of town, right? You were in Hawaii. Yeah, yeah I was gone. So, um, so you and of had course to I got shown the, the two best right? units. <laughs> what was that? I said, and of course I got shown the two best units. Of yeah, course. it was from the inspection. From the inspection. Okay. So you had to rely on the inspection to, to, to be able to look at all at the recommendations from the inspector, yeah. basically. Yeah. So one of the tips that I always hear is like to, to look at all the units, right? Because they always yep. show you the best ones. Yep. <laughs> so what were the differences between these nicer units and the ones that they didn't show you? Just age, wear and tear. One of you know, one of the one of the eight units has a. Um, well, I mean, at the time when we closed, one of the guys was a registered sex offender, so that was not ideal. And his house was just a his unit was just a pigsty, um, so just not a I don't know, not an individual I would ever rent to. So, uh, and then just I, I mean, clutter, not really hoarder, but just small place for a big amount of personal crap uh right. for a couple people i i had um, a quarter once and that's not fun <laughs> yeah no definitely not i just i always wonder like how do you live like that i don't get it i i should have known when she would never let me go in for anything you know like and then when she she decided to move out so i had to show the apartment right and i like i i am very proactive so i like to start showing a month before it's on a, my list and like every time that I would schedule something, it's like, oh, she was sick. She couldn't do it that day. She was stuck at work and she didn't want me in the unit and like all kinds of excuses. So one day I was like, I am showing it today and I don't care about the excuses. So I go in with a new person. And when I saw it, I turned around to the person that was looking at the place and I'm like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> like I wasn't expecting. I was not expecting that. It was just so, it was mainly, it was, she was there only for a year. So it wasn't like a lot of accumulation of stuff that she bought for years, but it was just, she had a dog Junk. and she didn't clean. Yeah. And it was just very disgusting. I mean, I had my cleaning lady go there and she was like, don't ever ask me to clean up a unit like that. <laughs> yeah. I just, I don't understand how people live like that, but anyway, we could go on for a while about that. <laughs> All right. So getting back to the deal. So the financing is a very interesting uh, way that you got it because I was inquiring about this same thing. If I could buy uh, property financed and right now, you know, even 75%, if I could do the 25% uh, with seller financing and the person that I talked to said no. So how did you find a bank that was, um, willing to do the seller financing part and for the ones that don't know how how does seller financing work yeah well so for the first part there's this app called icba which is uh you know i don't it might be lcba i don't know icba but it stands for like community bank locator or something like that um and it's a simple little app you type in a zip code and it pops up all the banks around there that are like local banks Mm -hmm. And so what I was doing is I was just calling some of those local banks and saying, Hey, you know, I know you're local. This is me. This is who I am. This is what I do. Uh, would you be interested in yada, yada? Would you accept this? Um, and I, I just got a hold of a bank who was okay. Well, yeah, we'll do 10% if you'll. And the other thing is I got it under, uh, that was the Market. other piece is, is it was is, exactly it, it appraised for 248, I think, or 240. Maybe just two forty on the dot, but so there was a little equity in there plus their ten percent plus my ten percent. So the bank was not like eighty percent 
loan to value, they were 80% of where we bought. So that was a plus. There was some wiggle room there. Um, right. So I guess the secret there is how much equity they have. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that was part of it. And then they're local. So they're portfolio lenders. So they're able to make decisions in house. They're not selling loans out. So they don't have to uh, abide by anyone else's rules. So if they like you, they can kind of budge on stuff, which is nice. And so that was, that was probably that piece. As far as the seller financing, I mean, the easiest way to describe it would be if you had a truck that I wanted to buy and instead of bringing you a check for 10,000, I said, I'll pay you 500 bucks a month for the next, well, 20 months would bring it to 10,000, but to make it worth your time, I'll pay you 500 bucks a month for the next 22 months. So you get an extra thousand dollars for letting me make payments without a bank um, or, or however you agree. And the cool thing with seller financing is it's absolutely whatever you guys can agree to. So in this case, it was 4% uh, and it was five years to repay it. And that was it, just cut and dry. And that was simple. But the really cool thing with seller financing is it, it doesn't stop being negotiable. So th- th- I could go on and on and on and on. There's a lot of really cool tricks you could use. But for example, I refinanced that property 18 months after I purchased. And when I refinanced, I texted the guy and said, hey, look, I'm refinancing. I can continue to pay you at this interest rate for the duration if you'd like. Or if you want all the money lump sum, I can pay it back to you right now. And we can just be done. And uh, so... That's what we agreed to do. And so when I paid him back, I was like, what do I owe you? And he told me the balance. And I was like, okay. And I wrote him a check. And so I paid this guy back. And the really good thing with that is just that I was like, because of me paying him back the principal, I only paid interest for that first like 18 months, if that makes sense. So it was 4% interest, but because I didn't pay for five years or whatever, it essentially was only like one point something percent interest because I only paid interest for the first year and then it wasn't amortized. It was just 4%. And then, yeah. Yeah. And, and it allowed you to, to get a property for a lot less money at the beginning to do this um, seller financing. So out of pocket, you were, you know, only you said 4 point something percent versus, you know, for at least the banks that I work with uh, here in South Florida is 25% minimum. Um, you can get a 20% um, sometimes, but no, not now with COVID. That that that's yeah, that shift has yeah. sailed. But you could get like a 20% um, if the bank knew you and if you had a track record. All right. So so that's the way that you finance it. And so what's your exit strategy for that property? Die. <laughs> death uh so i i refinanced i got all my money back and i paid off my seller financing got to keep i think seven thousand on top of it i could have kept a lot more because i we raised the value up i think it appraised for 262 and at the time i only had 180 left on the loan so there was a lot of room in there but i didn't want to pull more equity out i wanted to just pay it down more so what i did was i took it it was a I can't remember if it was an 18 year loan originally or a 16 year loan originally, but I dropped it to 15 or like 14 and a half. So I basically took a year off the repayment time and only took 7,000 back rather than taking a whole bunch more back. And so I still dropped my payment by like a hundred bucks a month, but I got to cut, you know, a full year off what amount of time I was going to owe the money back. 
And so my plan, honestly, with a lot of these is just to hold them forever. So I know like bigger apartment deals, like the syndication I'm in, we plan on refinancing at year three, selling at year seven or uh, sell at year five. And that's great. And I like that, you know, you double your money, you get your capital back, yada, yada. But for something that I own personally, I would much rather just hold forever. And even though it's an older building and it's going to have some maintenance and there's going to be issues that come up, I know that long-term that building will, A, it'll go up in value, I'm sure. B, the rents will go up in value, I'm sure. But C, in 15 years when I own it free and clear, my cash flow will jump another $1,500 a month from it. So I'll go from, you know, I don't know, 1200 to 1500 a month in cash flow to like $3,000 a month from that one property that I got into for less than 11000 So in essence, it will go from a, the 100% cash on cash return. It was the first year and second year, and it kind of is right now. It's a little bit over 100% cash on cash return, even though I pulled my money out. So now it's infinite, but it'll ultimately, it'll jump to like three times every year what I originally put into it, if not more. Um, so yeah, I like to hold forever or at least theoretically, right? Like there's might be a time where that changes, but in the long-term wealth building benefits of real estate are just awesome. Absolutely. So yeah, that's, that's what I do. I do um, buy and hold. And so I have the same strategy. Um, when, when we started investing, my husband and I, the idea was to have this property just for our kids to have college education. If they decided to go to college, they could, we could use the cash flow to pay for college or we could sell it if we had to and <clears throat> have the money for college. But then, you know, I started you know, growing the, the, the portfolio and then it became more of a, instead of a hobby, uh, something that I want to, I'm pursuing uh, full time. And um, so you, you know, that, that's the, the beauty of real estate, right? You can, you can do different things. You can do flips, you know, if you want a job, you can do flips and do it full time, or you can invest passively if you want to do syndications, which for people that don't know, syndications are, uh, you get together with uh, other partners and you buy large multifamily, or it could be also storage or other kinds of properties. Uh, but you have um, the general partners, which are the sponsors, and then you have the limited partners that are just investors that want to invest passively. And so they just put the money and then they get their passive money every month or every three months. And so you can do that or you can be active and, you know, buy your stuff, remodel it and then manage it. So yeah. there's so many ways to, to do, make money in real estate. That, and, and that's why I like uh, to talk about the deal because you get to hear from uh, investors uh, what type of strategy they are uh, doing. So you invest in Missouri, how, you know, what, rule of thumb do you use when you're looking at properties quickly like uh, like you're when when you look at a property and you quickly look at it and say hey this is a good thing i'm gonna underwrite it more or no um, i pass on this one what do you look at well in my area 1.2 percent rule is pretty common so i can get you know if it if it's a hundred thousand dollar house it should be able to rent for 1200 um, or, or in my case with like my duplex, right? I just bought one for 93 and it rents for 1150. Um, and so I know that's, that's a pretty quick and dirty, like if it doesn't rent for at least 1% of the mm -hmm. purchase price, then it's not even worth looking at. Cause I know I can do way better. Um, so that's, that's a simple one, but you know, it's kind of messed up to say it, but the reality is like, once you get familiar with your market, all that stuff just kind of goes out the window. You just know. So like this duplex, I jokingly, <laughs> yes. I say that, but like I, I bought this duplex and we were a week from closing or a, a few days from closing. And I was helping a buddy learn how to analyze deals. And we were doing a zoom call where I was 
walking him through the deal. Uh, and he didn't have a deal to look through. So I just picked the one I was under contract on and we ran through the numbers. And when we got done, I was like, Oh wow, that looks, that's, that's better than I thought. And he goes, Oh, that's better than what you did the first time. Like, no, I never ran the numbers on this. I just, I owned a duplex. Yeah. So I owned a duplex like three blocks over and I knew, okay, well, if I bought that one for this price and this one's basically the same price three years later, then it's a great deal. So, um, and you know, that's, just, that's exactly right. Like when, you know, I, I had the same experience. I saw this property come on the market and uh, I was driving. So I called my realtor and I said, I want to offer a uh, full price right now because I know the area and I know the price and I don't need to look at it. Yeah. And so we didn't get it because the guy decided not to sell it. Uh, mm-hmm. It was weird because he got multiple offers, but um you know, I knew right away uh, that, bec- you know, because I own other properties in the same area. So I knew it, that that price was good as soon as they, um, they listed it. Um, so yes, um, but I do use the 1% rule as well. You know, if it doesn't pass the 1% rule, I don't even put it on my calculator. Yeah, total waste of time. <laughs> so if you guys need to use a calculator uh, to analyze your deals, you can go to my website, thelyinvestments.com, and you can get a free calculator there. And uh, let me know what you think. Productivity hack. All right. So now I'm going to ask you to give us uh, your productivity hack, which means like what has, have you implemented in your business that has taken you to the next level? And I, I could go on for a long time with this because it's a toss up between block scheduling and time blocking and, and batching and, and all the other good things. But the two that are kind of coincide, I guess, is scheduling and virtual assistance. So the idea of being able to out, like basically just time management, all four of those things I just said are time management. And so it's learning how to set your schedule for specific things that you do at a certain time and fill that time. But knowing that if it doesn't fit in that window, you can do it a different day and, and like being able to really control your schedule and know what you need to do to accomplish your most important next step and how to line that up. So really the most, the biggest productivity app, if you boil all of that in is just get good at managing your time, like learn, learn, learn how to use your schedule to your advantage. So what was the, fa- the, the first thing that you implemented when you were like, you know, you mentioned that you did four different things. So how did you start doing it or did you do everything at the same time? It's been a growing process. I think the first piece of that puzzle was to use Calendly or some other scheduling app. And so you can go into Calendly and set, like I set up a introduction calls for this time in the morning or this time or this time at night. And so I send someone a link when they want to do an introduction. It's like, great, here, use this. They have three options a day, five days a week or a different time frame on the weekend. And they pick what works or it doesn't work. Unless it's like an extenuating circumstance where it's like, eh, okay, fine, we'll, we'll shuffle something around. That's the window. And so I know every day I have three spots on my calendar for that. They're either full or they're not, but that's it. There's no other times. Um, and then I did that with podcasting. So there's three different other spots that people can schedule that that with calls with my uh, passive investors for like syndications, that's a different window. Um, so I can just send someone a link and then they schedule it, but it's scheduled into my, my time. It's, it's, it's in a box, right? Like I know it's going to be at that time. And I think that a, it mitigates the, well, what time are you free? Oh, I think I'm doing free this forth. time. Yeah. So it mitigates that and B it 
keeps it on my schedule at the time that works for me. Awesome. So, so you have to kind of sit down and, and decide how much time I'm going to, you know, dedicate to the calls and how much time. So it's a little bit of planning or maybe figuring it out as you go, right? Like you start with something and then you realize it doesn't work and then you switch it a little bit. Um, yeah. But, you know, something that you mentioned that is, uh, I hear it everywhere, is like the virtual assistants, right? Like it's like a, a hot word that everybody's using. Everybody's starting to hire people uh, to assist them on the tasks. And so how has the virtual assistant helped you? They allow me to spend my time doing more important things. So I have four of them right now and three of them are task specific. So I have one who is not even a virtual assistant anymore. I partnered with him to start another business, but he was my podcast editor. And now we help people edit and launch podcasts. But the other one was uh, my video editor for YouTube. And so I finally got to a point where I couldn't keep up with editing videos. So I found someone to do it for me. And same with the podcast. And the third is someone who does all my blog post editing and my article editing. And then the fourth one is now I have someone who's more of an administrative. So she does, she does infographics and stuff like that. But she also transcribes all my podcasts and um, I can send her a video like talking through a subject. She can turn it into a blog post for me and then I can send it to my editor. So really all I had to do is record a video for 15 minutes or 10 minutes. Um, so just things like that that I can do to save time. And so I just outsourcing things that either you're not good at or you don't enjoy doing. So for me, I'm not good at editing blog posts. So it take it would just be pointless for me to try to do it. All right. Awesome. So, you know, getting other people to help you in your business is the key and be yeah. able to, to schedule um, your time effectively. Expert tips. So now we come to the part of the show where you are going to give me three expert tips. So what subject do you want to give us these expert tips on? Man, see, I should have saved all those. those I should have made those my, my scheduling <laughs> stuff. Um, let's do content. Content. Because mm, I bet no one does that on your show. I bet no one comes in here and talks about content production. Okay, I, I am going to be taking notes because I want to know as well. <laughs> all right, tip number one. Tip number one, document, don't create. So Gary Vee says this all the time. Pick up a camera and talk about what you're doing. My entire platform started with me just talking about what I was doing. And it, it's morphed since then. But people are afraid to put themselves in front of a camera and document what they're doing. But then they want to go and raise money for a deal. But who's going to lend you money if they don't know what you're doing? So get in front of a camera and just talk about what you're doing for the day or talk about what you learned or talk about what you want to do or what your vision is or something. And, and people will take notice. So it's not hard. Just put a camera in your face. It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for everyone. And record something. That is awesome. Tip number two. Schedule everything out in advance. The only way that I'm able to maintain, and this kind of goes back to scheduling and time management. I mean, I work a full-time job for the Marine Corps. And I'm recording content at four in the morning or at eight at night or whatever. Sometimes both. Um, you know, but schedule things out so that if you don't get around to writing a post or doing a video that week, you have a buffer. Like right now, my podcast, just like yours, is scheduled out for like a full month, right? I could not record an episode for three weeks, four weeks, and there would still be an episode every Friday. And so you need to be able to just give yourself a buffer and schedule content ahead of time so that it comes out 
Absolutely. And then you can take vacation and not worry about it, uh, you know, having to, to edit stuff in the middle of your vacation or record stuff in the middle of your vacation. Yeah. All right. Three number, uh, tip number three. I think the third tip would just be collaborate. Like the biggest secret to social media and content is, is that it's social. People create all this stuff, but they don't engage with their audience or with other co contributors or uh, other people. You know, they just do their own thing and they like post something and forget about it, but engage with comments, engage with other people, go comment on other people's stuff, talk to other, you know, for example, on Instagram, like if you liked something that I published or posted or whatever, the, you, all you would have, it's very easy to like click on it and share it to your story and tag me in it. Well, if I got onto Instagram and saw that someone tagged me in something, of mine saying like, Oh, I really like this podcast episode. I'm obviously going to share that with my followers too, because it's a credibility thing. Like, Hey, this person liked my content. Um, so I'm going to share it. Well, when I share it now, my audience sees you and they click on your page and now you got, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 people who followed you because they, so like the biggest thing with social media is just being social and, you know, and, and engage with people. And so, yeah, if you, if you document what you're doing and you, stay ahead of it so that you don't miss, you know, kind of consistent consistency. And then you talk to people and communicate like all one big, just social network that people don't think of social media and content as networking, but it I have totally. literally made thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars from connections with networking. Absolutely. I mean, you know, to be truthful, I didn't understand what it meant to network until last year like i just didn't understand the concept until i went to a conference and i collected all the cards that everybody i talked to everybody and then i never did anything with them because it was just i was so overwhelmed with like what do i do now uh, but then you know i decided you know what this is not working for me so um i actually at that first conference i started uh, doing live video uh, live uh, interviews for my group for my facebook group and that was so much better because I got to talk to the people that were doing what I wanted to do and I got to interview them for my audience. So I was sharing with people knowledge and at the same time, I was meeting all these people that I wanted to talk uh, to. And yeah. then, you know, if you just follow up and you keep in touch, then these people sometimes become your friends. And when you have questions, you can reach to them and then, you know, you create a relationship. And so um, definitely I love your tips about documenting because I think that's what I was doing without knowing. I was just documenting. I was at this conference and I yeah. just met these wonderful people and you got to hear what they have to say, you know, not about me, but them. And so absolutely. I totally agree. Thank you so much uh, for all, all your, um, your experience and your knowledge. So where can people find you if they want to look for you online? from military to millionaire.com or really I'm on, I'm on Facebook, Instagram. The hashtag is military millionaire. You'll find me all over the place under that hashtag. Like the shirt. Awesome. Oh, I love it. Military <laughs> millionaire. <laughs> Thank you so much. Bye everybody. Thanks for having me on. This was Real Estate Deal Closers with Annette Talee, brought to you by Talee Investments. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Our goal is to provide amazing value on your real estate journey. Connect online at www.taleeinvestments.com, where you can find this episode and more. Did you like this episode? Subscribe, like, and share.